Good evening, my friends. I hope it is midnight wherever you are. Why don't you turn out all the lights? Yes, even that one. That's better. My name is Josh Hitchens, and this is Going Dark Theater. And tonight, I will tell you the tale of the lonely lights. There is a sea shanty, now centuries old, that goes like this. When the sunlight fades and the shadows fall, let the light from the lighthouse shine on me. When the night winds blow and the rain falls free, let the light from the lighthouse shine on me. And then your sailor's heart is filled with fear when the sound of the surf on the rocks is near. Oh, let the light from the lighthouse shine on me. Ever since human beings began to travel the seas, lighthouses have existed out of necessity. When traveling the oceans in the darkest of nights and the thickest of fogs, a burning light on the shore was the only way ships could be warned and saved from impending disaster and certain agonizing, watery death. The oldest recorded lighthouse in history was the Lighthouse of Alexandria, built on the island of Pharos on the western edge of the River Nile between 284 and 246 BC. This lighthouse was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world and, at 330 feet high, was the tallest man-made structure in existence for centuries. At the apex of its tower was a mirror to reflect the sunlight during the day, and a mighty fire burned all through the night. On the very top of its tower there stood a statue of Poseidon, perhaps put there to beg the Greek god of the oceans and the storms to spare the lives of those brave mortals who dared to travel by water, risking death. The first lighthouse built in what became the United States of America was the Boston Light, constructed on Little Brewster Island in 1716. The three-acre island is located nine miles out to sea from Boston Harbor and is made up of a forbidding, rocky terrain. The first keeper of the Boston Light was a man named George Worthylake, George received a salary of 50 pounds a year, the equivalent of $16,000 a year in today's money. He was responsible for keeping the Boston light burning from sunset to sunrise, as well as acting as a pilot who guided incoming ships into Boston Harbor from the mainland. George Worthy Lake lived on the island with his wife Anne and their daughter Ruth, who was 15 years old. Also living on Little Brewster Island alongside the Worthy Lake family was a white servant named George Cutler and an enslaved African man whose name is only recorded in history as Shadwell. 
these were the first people on the North American continent to take on the immense and often dangerous responsibility of tending a lighthouse. They would also be the first ones to die. On November 3rd, 1718, George Worthylake, along with his wife Anne, their daughter Ruth, George Cutler, Shadwell, and family friend John Edge traveled from the island to Boston to attend a church service. Afterward, they set off in a canoe from Boston Harbor to return to the lighthouse. Witnesses reported seeing the canoe capsize and the horrific sight of those who had been in it struggling to swim in the cold, dark water. All six of them drowned in the sea but only the corpse of George Cutler was never found. The three worthy lakes are buried in Boston's historic Copes Hill Burying Ground under an unusual triple headstone that is still visible today. An enterprising 12-year-old aspiring writer named Benjamin Franklin wrote a poem about the incident called The Lighthouse Tragedy, and he made a decent sum of money selling hand-printed copies of it on the streets of Boston. It begins, O oh George, this wild November we must not pass with you, for Ruth, your fragile daughter, its chilly gales will rue. Less than two weeks after the tragedy, Robert Saunders and a man named Braddock were hired to maintain the Boston Light until a new full-time keeper was found. On their first trip to Little Brewster Island from the harbor, both Saunders and Braddock also mysteriously drowned. Ever since these tragic deaths, the Boston Light on Little Brewster Island has been haunted. The Coast Guard, who took over management of the lighthouse in the 1930s, have reported numerous paranormal encounters they could not explain. Russell Anderson was a Coast Guard keeper at the Boston Light in 1947. He reported that the light sometimes would mysteriously turn on by itself. One night, his 22-year-old wife, Maisie, was walking the shore of tiny little Brewster Island. Suddenly, she heard footsteps walking right behind her. When she turned around to look, no one was there. That same night, as she tried to sleep, Maisie Anderson felt she was not alone in her bedroom. Then she heard what she described as horrible, maniacal laughter, and then the terrible sound of a young woman weeping. And then she heard the weeping woman's voice scream the strange name, Shadwell, over and over and over. It wasn't until years later that Maisie Anderson read about the Boston Light's tragic history and that the Worthy Lake family had lived with an enslaved African man named Shadwell, the same name repeated by the young girl's voice in the dark of the night. Maisie learned that Shadwell died while valiantly trying to save the others, including the Worthy Lake's young daughter, Ruth. Dennis Deaver, 
a Coast Guard officer in charge at Boston Light in the late 1980s, had a few odd experiences while staying at the island. While working in the station's boathouse, he liked to have his radio tuned to a rock station. Often, with nobody else in the boathouse, the station would change itself to a classical station. Deaver said that he and the other Coast Guard crew attributed events like this to Old George, Old George Worthylake, the lighthouse's doomed first keeper. One day, Deaver was in the kitchen of the keeper's house looking out the window at the tower, and he clearly saw a man in the lantern room. This frightened him, as the only other person on the island was his assistant in the next room. From a distance, it appeared that the figure at the top of the tower was wearing a keeper's uniform from an earlier century. Deaver rushed to the tower and went up the stairs, but found the lantern room empty. The spectral figure of a woman in white has also been seen by many witnesses over the years, wailing mournfully like a banshee as she walks along the shore of the island on terrible, dark, and stormy nights. In 1999, Coast Guard Petty Officer Gary Fleming told the Boston Herald, it really does get spooky. You have plenty of time here, and if you let your mind go, you can freak yourself out. Some speculate that the spirits of the drowned George, Anne, and Ruth Worthylake, along with Shadwell, all remain trapped on Little Brewster Island, guarding the Boston Light for all eternity. Close your eyes now. Imagine that you are living in the 18th or the 19th century, and you accept the position of lighthouse keeper. You need the money. You have no other choice. You will live on an island, perhaps with an assistant or your romantic partner if you're lucky, for 365 days out of the year. If you are unlucky, perhaps you will live on the island all alone, just you and the lighthouse. Your contact with other human beings will be minimal and fleeting. There may be times in the winter or during prolonged bad weather when there will be no way for you to escape the island. You will be cut off from the mainland, alone on a barren rock at the mercy of the dark, churning sea that always surrounds you. There is no way to call for help. There is nothing except you at the lonely task of tending the light. You could scream as loud and as long as your lungs and vocal cords would allow, and no other human being would ever hear you. 
subjected to this isolation and the never-ending dread that some night you may fail in your task to keep the light burning and cause the wreck of a ship and the death of dozens, perhaps hundreds, of other human beings who are relying on only you to keep them safe from harm, would you be able to handle that intense pressure? the all-consuming loneliness? Would you be able to survive as a lighthouse keeper? Or would you just slowly and quietly go insane? Seguin Island, 2.5 miles from the coast of Maine near the mouth of the Kennebec River, has always been an eerie place filled with strange legends. In July 1875, the newspaper American Sentinel reported that the captain and first mate of an unnamed vessel were sailing near Seguin Island when they saw a massive black shape in the water beside their ship. It was a sea serpent, approximately 130 feet long. According to their testimony, the mysterious creature raised its head as large as a pig's out of the water and began to slither onto the deck of the ship. They stabbed the creature in the head with a pike. It let out a loud, piercing shriek and then went back down into the sea. Upon reaching shore, the two men showed the pike, which was still covered with the sea monster's blood and scaly flesh, to anyone who would listen to their harrowing story. Later that month, the same newspaper reported that this ship City of Portland had also seen the sea monster swimming in the waters near Seguin. It is also rumored that the notorious pirates Anne Bonny and Captain William Kidd both buried a large amount of their stolen treasure somewhere on Seguin Island as they were escaping from authorities. This story was so well known and believed to be true, that in 1936, the Government Bureau of Lighthouses gave a man named Archie Lane official and exclusive permission to dig on Seguin Island for a full year in search of Anne Bonny and Captain Kidd's pirated fortune of buried bars of gold and innumerable silver coins. After nine months of digging all around the island, no treasure was found, and Lane abandoned his search. But the legend lives on. These tales aside, Seguin Island is most well known today for its lighthouse and for its ghosts. Local merchants petitioned the government for a lighthouse to be built on Seguin Island as early as 1786. Their petition read, Island Seguin seems to be designed by nature for this purpose. If there was a light upon this island, many vessels would be saved from shipwreck and many persons preserved from immature deaths. The Seguin Light 
was commissioned by George Washington in 1795 and is the second oldest lighthouse in Maine. Its present tower was built in 1857, making it also the tallest lighthouse in the state. It is also the lighthouse that endures the most fog. Seguin Island experiences almost 3,000 hours of foggy weather annually, so the island is shrouded in an almost impenetrable mist 31% of the year, which is double the national average. This, as well as nearly constant waves and frequent violent thunderstorms, can make Seguin a forbidding, desolate place. A perfect setting for ghost stories to be born. Just like the Boston Light on Little Brewster Island, the Seguin Light is said to be haunted by the spirit of its very first keeper, Major John Polaretsky. Born in France on September 5, 1748, Major John Polaretsky was actually a count of either Hungarian or Polish descent, who fought under the Marquis de Lafayette during the American Revolution. He settled in the town of Dresden, Maine, which had a large population of French immigrants at the time. All his life, John Polaretsky maintained a distinctive French accent. On March 29, 1796, Major John was appointed the first keeper of the new Seguin Island lighthouse. He was never to be happy there, finding it extremely difficult to survive the harsh weather conditions on the exposed rock. It is recorded that he asked more than once for his meager salary to be raised in order to improve his quality of life on the island, but his requests were always denied. Polaretsky remained on Seguin for six years, but then he could stand it no longer. He resigned in 1802. However, many believe that Major John Polaretsky returned to haunt the island after his death. He is the ghost subsequent keepers and visitors have named the Old Captain. His apparition is most often seen appearing in the lighthouse tower, a dark silhouette standing against the light before suddenly vanishing. One of the most frightening manifestations of the old captain's ghost was experienced by a member of the Coast Guard in 1985. At that time, the Seguin light was being automated, and all the old furniture was packed up to be shipped to the mainland the next day. One officer stayed on the island alone that night. In the middle of the night, the officer was suddenly awakened from a peaceful slumber by someone or something, causing his bed to shake violently. The officer opened his eyes and was terrified to see the figure of a tall, old man standing over him. The ghost was dressed in oil skins, and a strong smell of tobacco filled the room. The apparition screamed at the officer, Don't take 
the furniture, leave my home alone. Then the specter slowly faded away into the darkness. The officer did not listen to the ghost's request, perhaps thinking it had all been an extremely vivid nightmare. The next day, all the furniture was loaded into a boat. The boat was being lowered down toward the water when suddenly the cable violently snapped, sending the boat and all the furniture crashing down onto the rocks. Everything was destroyed. Did the Coast Guard officer experience the ghost of Major John Poloretsky on that night in 1985? It seems very likely. The officer stated that when the spirit spoke to him, he noticed that its voice had a heavy French accent. Through the centuries and up to the present day, Staff members at Seguin have reported that items in the keeper's house sometimes are moved or vanish completely before reappearing in completely different locations on the island. Tools are thrown to the floor, and doors often open and close by themselves. When furniture is moved to a different room, keepers sometimes find that it has somehow moved back to its original location overnight. Another ghost haunting Seguin Island is the spirit of a little girl. The legend goes that at some point in Seguin's history, a keeper and his wife lived on the island with their young daughter. During a particularly harsh winter, the family was cut off from the mainland and the little girl became sick. She died of her illness and having no other choice, her parents buried their daughter's body somewhere near the lighthouse. Ever since, people have seen and heard the little girl's ghost all over Seguin Island. Keepers reported the sound of a child's footsteps running up the tower stairs, accompanied by the echoing laughter of a child. Visitors have seen a little girl waving at them from the top of the lighthouse, and upon inquiring about her to staff, are told there is no little girl living on the island. People have also often heard the haunting sound of the little girl's horrible, hacking cough in the keeper's house. Some have heard the unnerving sound of a child struggling to breathe. One day, a tourist was walking the shoreline of Seguin, looking to the mainland. She had the peaceful spot all to herself, taking in the beautiful view. Suddenly, she noticed that a little girl was standing beside her. The little girl said, I can't find my mother. The woman said she would help the little girl in her search, and she went to take the little girl's hand. But the little girl had vanished, and the woman stood alone on the deserted rocks. The most famous and most frightening ghost story of Seguin Island is a grisly tale of madness, murder, and suicide. Sometime in the 1850s, 
a young keeper came to live on Seguin Island with his new bride. It is said that his wife was from a higher class than he was, and she was not happy on Seguin Island. Cut off from family, friends, and the luxuries of high society, she suffered from a fierce and painful loneliness. The keeper would often find his wife standing on the rocks, even in the middle of a storm, staring longingly out at the mainland, crying inconsolably. The keeper loved his wife deeply and was devastated to see her slipping away from him. So, he saved up his salary for many months and finally saved enough to buy his wife a piano. At great expense, the piano was hoisted up the rocky island with ropes and installed in the keeper's house. The wife was delighted by the gift, and playing the piano became her salvation. However, she could not play without sheet music, and the piano had come with only one song. The wife played that one song over and over and over and over again. The endless repetition of this music slowly drove the keeper mad. One night, when the island was enveloped in fog, the keeper could stand it no longer. As his wife played the piano, the keeper went out to a shed and found a sharp, heavy axe. He carried the axe into the house and used it to destroy the piano, silencing its keys forever. And then the keeper took the axe and killed his wife, beheading her and dismembering her body. Realizing the horror of what he had done, the mad keeper slowly climbed the metal stairs of the lighthouse tower and hanged himself from one of the beams near the light. After several nights where the Seguin light was dark, people on the mainland became concerned for the couple and a party was sent to investigate. There they found the horrific scene a broken piano, the butchered body of the keeper's wife with the axe beside her, and the corpse of the keeper hanging from a rope in the tower, his dead, glassy eyes bulging out of their sockets, staring at them. Ships who are sailing on the Kennebec River on dark, foggy nights, have often heard the sound of piano music drifting from the island across the sea. It is always the same song, played over and over again, even though 
there is now no piano on Seguin Island. Subsequent keepers and current staff have said that this ghastly crime is doomed to be repeated for all eternity. The ghost of the mad keeper has been seen approaching the lighthouse, carrying an axe in his hand as the eerie sound of piano music fills the air. People have heard the crashing sound of the axe on the piano's keys and the sound of a woman screaming in terror before everything goes silent. And then they hear the echoing sound of a man's heavy footsteps slowly climbing the metal steps to the tower one by one. One staff member at Seguin thought he was alone on the island. All the tourists had gone, and he was closing up shop and getting ready to go home. Then he heard a strange sound in the lighthouse. Upon investigating, he realized it was coming from up in the tower. As he cautiously climbed the metal spiral staircase, he thought the sound he was hearing was of a rope slowly being twisted, creaking. It became louder and louder as he approached the top of the tower where the light was kept. When he reached the top, he saw the grotesque sight of a man covered in blood, hanging from a rope, his neck broken, and his eyes wide open, looking directly at him. He fainted. When he regained consciousness, night had fallen, and he was alone in the tower. The list of lighthouse keepers at Seguin Island is a matter of historical record, and there appears to be no official documentation of the infamous murder-suicide. But if it really did happen, it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility that such a grisly event may have been quietly covered up. Looking at the list of keepers in the 19th century, a striking pattern emerges. From the beginning of its operation, the Seguin light keepers usually stayed on the job for a decade or more. But from 1857 until 1868, no keeper or assistant keeper stayed on Seguin Island longer than two years. Many stayed only one year, and some did not even last that long. All are listed in the records as resigning or being removed, not retiring as keepers had in the lighthouse's past. One keeper even deserted his post, leaving the island in the middle of the night, never to return. When you remember that the tragic murder-suicide at Seguin Island is said to have taken place in the 1850s, it makes you wonder if perhaps the keepers who came in the decade following the tragedy encountered something on the island that made them want to leave it. What had been a steady, if lonely, existence on Seguin suddenly became turbulent in the mid-19th century for reasons we do not know. Perhaps 
It was because the island had become haunted by piano music played by the dead. The Seguin Light was added to the National Registry of Historic Places in 1977. In 1985, the lighthouse was decommissioned and the light itself became automated. The last lighthouse in the United States to be automated was also the first one built, the Boston Light on Little Brewster Island, which was finally decommissioned and automated in 1998. In 1986, an organization called the Friends of the Seguin Island Light Station was formed. They maintain Seguin as a historic site and museum to this day. Every year, the organization hires two compatible people to live on the island from Memorial Day through Labor Day as volunteer caretakers. The application stresses that the job is physically and mentally demanding. If you apply and are hired, you are responsible for giving historical tours to visitors, running the museum gift shop, and maintaining the grounds and the lighthouse. During the daytime, the island will be filled with guests, but at night, when the sun sets, and the fog rolls in over the unforgiving sea, you will watch the mainland vanish from your sight. In the dark, you may begin to feel the loneliness creeping over you, the same sense of crippling isolation felt by lighthouse keepers at Seguin over a century ago. Then you may hear a heavy footstep, on the iron staircase behind you, and the faint sound of the piano begin to play in the next room, and then you'll remember that you are not alone. Today, if you decide to visit Seguin Island, you are greeted by a sign that doubles as a warning. Welcome to Seguin Island, landing at your own risk. Next time we meet, we will travel across the seas together to Scotland, and I'll tell you the tale of an old castle that is haunted by at least nine different ghosts. My name is Josh Hitchens, and this is Going Dark Theatre. I encourage you to like Going Dark Theatre on Facebook, and if you should wish to support this podcast and also get access to other scary stories that I write and narrate. I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Josh Hitchens. I am very grateful for your support. Until our next midnight together, I wish you all very pleasant dreams. And now, going dark.